If you would turn with me to Psalm 146 tonight, Psalm that we were speaking about last week, parts of it. I'd like to speak to you a little further from this psalm. And we had spoken about the, the word praise, of course, which is so important in our Christian lives, to praise the Lord. It starts with praise the Lord, O my soul. And as I said, there can be no praise unto the Lord unless the soul is redeemed. You may hear people say, I thank God for this or I thank God for that. But actually, there can be no real thankfulness in the heart until the soul is truly saved, truly redeemed. Then praise is there, real praise, and praise that comes from the heart. And so this psalm, like so many other psalms, uh, is filled with this word praise. We were talking about the third and fourth verses last week, put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. His breath goeth forth, he returns to his earth, in that very day his thoughts perish. And of course, I can't help but think here that it gives the history of man in such a short sentence. The next verse says, Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. And you know, we're not liable to think that way so much when in the fourth verse he talks about death and uh, his breath going forth and he returns to the earth. And I find that very few people want to talk about death you know, when I go to a funeral home and I bring a message for the Lord at the funeral home, often I think I must shock people somewhat that I start, you know, usually by saying, now I have no message of despondency for you or despair because that cannot be part of my ministry as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, I can tell when I even talk about death at the funeral home or talk about the coffin or something, that there are some people that hang their heads and, and really they don't want to hear. If they could put their fingers in their ears, they would put their fingers in their ears so they would not hear about death because there is such a fear of death in their hearts. And of course, that's why the psalmist here speaks about man. God never hides the fact that man is going to die. He says it is appointed to man once to die and then the judgment. So he never ceases to warn man that death is coming and that decisions must be made before death that will be that which will determine where he will spend eternity. And so the psalmist speaks about his breath going forth. He returns to his earth. In that very day, his thoughts perish. And he said not to trust in man, of course that uh, his breath goeth forth and then he dies. And philosophy of man is much too limited in scope, if we can put it that way, because all the philosophers die and his philosophy cannot enter the grave with him. The day that a man dies, his thoughts cease. It deals with man in this life only, philosophy. But it has to terminate at the grave, because no man knows anything beyond the grave. Only Christ has given us revelation beyond the grave. And this is the key to our Christian faith, to that which we believe in our hearts, 
that we believe we have an answer to life now in the salvation in Jesus Christ and to give us victory now to release us from the fear of the bondage of death and to give us a radiant life, one that is filled with the Holy Spirit of God. This is what we believe as Christians, that we have an answer to life and to death and to eternity. And this has changed our whole uh, vision of what life is, that the panorama of life has changed for us. Whereas before, for all human beings, there is a blank wall sort of at the end of life. And unless the faith in Christ is real, unless it's dynamic in the heart, unless we can really say that we know Christ as personal Savior, there's a terrible blank there. Life is a sad journey to a Christless eternity and has no meaning. Life loses all of its meanings if there's nothing beyond this. There are too many sorrows, too many cares, too many burdens, too many trials, too many things to bear so that if death ends it all and the coffin ends it all, what a terrible thing it is to stand in the, in the funeral home and to think that the coffin has ended it all. What a terrible, terrible thought. And I know that some of the people who are listening to me are sure that that's true. And that's why they're so dejected and so despondent and friends uh, don't even want to look at the coffin. They shy their eyes away because they do not understand death. They do not understand that death for the Christian is the stepstone to life. And so the psalmist wants us to know that his breath goeth forth and then he returns to the dust. Now, of course, he was made of the dust in the beginning. The strange thing is that he was made of the dust of the ground. And God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Isn't it hard to, to sort of think of that, that these nostrils here are that which is sustaining the soul's life? One breath between here and eternity, we say. Funny, God chose the nostrils. It isn't the most glorious part of our bodies, especially with some. And yet God chose the nostrils. And he breathed into man, into man's nostrils, the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And so he was formed out of the dust of the ground. This is the Adamic man. And here we are, all of us, part of Adam, in Adam, that's us. And so we, although brought into being by a birth which God ordained, are part of the dust of the ground. And to the ground we shall return. To dust, God says, you shall return. I've often thought that in birth, when we're born, when we come into the world, we actually possess more of the earth than we do when we die. When we're born into the world, we have the possibilities of the inheritance, of, I'm talking in the fleshly sense now, of our father's possessions being born into this world. Yet when we die, we are confined either to a little earthen vessel with ashes in it, which is some, or to a little piece of ground three feet by six or eight feet long, 
and that is our possession in death. I couldn't help but think that he is Howard Hughes with all of his vast, what they say, I forget the hundreds of thousands of acres he now owns, the richest man in the world. They believe he's richer than the man in England now. All of these vast possessions. Yet when he dies, he wants to be cremated. And there'll be a few ashes in a little urn. And he says, sprinkle it over the ocean. And so there goes Yahweh Hughes. Amazing thing, isn't it, huh? Of the dust thou hast formed, unto dust thou shalt return. And actually, the firmest possession we ever attain to is the grave. My father bought a house when, when I was a baby, and, uh, boy, that's antiquity. But my father bought a house, I well remember it, where I lived when I was a boy, and he lived in that house in Brooklyn from 19-so-and-so to 19-so-and-so. And the total number of years he lived in that house was 12 years, and he died. He has now been in that portion, which he bought in Greenwood Cemetery, for 48 years. He has been in a parcel of ground, if I might say, he was 46 when he died. He's been 48 years. In the ground. So his firmest possession of earth was the grave which he purchased. And yet at the same time, the amazing thing is that even that is not too permanent. For after 25 years, someone else can be buried in his place. So that even his grave is not his. And though they may put on the grave, you know, they have on the grave in perpetual care of Greenwood Cemetery. Well, boy, I, I doubt this. I have to say it, I doubt it very much. Perpetual care of Greenwood Cemetery. My mother has been there for 22 years. Th no, 42 years, I'm sorry, 42 years. I was just a little child when they died. But when you think that this is the end of life, we're made of the dust of the ground, and to the dust we return, and all of the anxieties and the trials and the burdens and the strivings, and I'm going to be this, and I'm going to be that, and I'm going to be successful, and possess this and possess that, and God says, thou fool, this night shall thy soul be required of thee, and then what shall all these things be? Of a truth thou didst come into the world with nothing, thou shalt leave with nothing. And so there is this portion that says his breath goeth forth, he returneth to what? His earth. His earth, you see. To think that it's his earth, 
God actually gave it to man. You remember in Hebrews, it says that God made man and he brought all the earth was to be subject unto him. All creation was to be subject unto him. Then it says, yet not now do we find all things subject unto him. But Jesus Christ has come forth and all things shall be brought finally in subjection to him. You see? It was intended by God that all creation would be subject unto him. But sin came in and man lost with God. And therefore, instead of his being the one ruling over the creation, he has failed and cannot even rule himself. He cannot find in himself the capacity to find peace that is eternal within his own breast outside of Jesus Christ. He cannot find any peace within his soul or within his little family realm. He has so many trials and problems right within his own family to get along with brothers and sisters and mother and father and all the different personalities and the children and everything else and the problems go on and he's, he's worrying about the peace of the world and why don't nations get along and why can't they love each other? And he gets looking at his own family and he sees all the burdens and the trials and the hatreds and the aunt so-and-so hasn't talked to so-and-so for 20 years. Terrible, isn't it? About five years ago, a Christian man came into this church. A man who's about 70 years of age. He's gone to be with the Lord now. But I can remember when he came in and I met, made his acquaintance, you know. Fine Christian. I went and I visited his family. He and his wife had prayer together with me and I talked to them about their life. Oh, they'd been Christians for 45, 50 years, rejoicing in the Lord, loved each other very deeply, lived all by themselves in a second-floor apartment, and rejoicing so much, they sang hymns together in the evening before they went to bed, and she played the little old organ they had. And I thought, what a wonderful, wonderful Christian family, so loving and so tender and so wonderful. And then in a few visits that I made over the next year, one time I went in and he said to me, you know, uh, he said, uh, I have a terrible burden on my heart. And I said, you were the burden with the great joy you seem to have in your Christian faith. You know? He said, yes, I have joy in my faith. But he says, maybe there's a little bit of play acting in it. Because he said, I'll tell you something. I have a blood brother that lives one block away from me here. We haven't talked for 40 years. Because of something happened in the family 40 years ago. Here was a, a life that looked so radiant, you know. So happy within itself. And yet... Here he was confessing that he had a blood brother, his only brother. And that brother lived within one block. They never passed each other's house. And if they saw each other, they crossed the street so they wouldn't talk to each other. And here were those Christians who sometimes will say, you know, 
we should love each other, that this is the mark of Christ upon our hearts. Hereby shall all men know that you are my disciples and that you love one another. And here within that little family group, there wasn't found that love which we cry out so much for in the world today. And we say, oh, there's such a great need for love. May I say this? You'd have to begin right in your little family if you're going to establish that kind of love. There may be problems in that little family of yours someplace that is keeping you from complete and loving and tender fellowship with God because I can assure you there cannot be a division in your heart. I'm not saying about the other's hearts. I remember that Jesus said, if thy brother offend thee, imagine, if thy brother offend thee, I know what you would say and what I'd say, if my brother offends thee, I'll wait until my brother comes and asks me to forgive him. He says, if thy brother offend thee, you go to your brother. Imagine. What he's saying is the one who's offended you doesn't know enough to come. You have Christ in your heart. You go to your brother and settle the offense. This isn't human nature. Human nature is to wait until the one who's offended you has come. And so, beloved, there is in the psalmist heart here these thoughts about the fact that our breath goeth forth. We don't live too long. Life is, a, is a, such a short span. The breath goeth forth. Our thoughts cease. We have so many thoughts, don't we? He says, your thoughts cease at death. Notice what it says. His thoughts perish. Notice that. The very day his thoughts perish. His breath stops, his thoughts perish. There are so many good intentions in our hearts, aren't there? Someday I'm going to make peace with God about this thing that's in my life. Someday I'm going to change this whole situation that has bogged down my spiritual life. Someday I'm going to get straight on this thing with God. Someday I'm going to change, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. Someday, someday, someday. And I want to say there are lots of good intentions, beloved, but the day that a man dies, his thoughts cease. And you can't boast yourself about tomorrow because you don't know what tomorrow may bring forth. It can change completely. As a matter of fact, we aren't even supposed to come to the Lord's table if we have an offense against a brother, if we have a problem, if we have a trial, if there's a burden. We're not supposed to come to the Lord's table until first. We have straightened that out with his brother, with thy brother. Then we can come to the table. We're not to have any idea that because we are good stewards of God's money, that this takes away any responsibility for making sure that our heart is at peace with God and at peace with our brother and our sister in Jesus Christ. And so the day that a man dies, his thoughts perish. You know, it's, it's a very humbling thing to think of that I'm going to return to dust unless Jesus comes again. The biggest thing a man has to look at is his thought life. Semantics, words, they're everything. Words are life. It's with being born again of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. Words are life. Out of a man's heart he speaks. Words are life. And so the day that a man dies, his thoughts perish. This is that which is man's greatest claim. 
his thoughts, his mind. It's that which activates everything. It's that which activates the body. It's that which activates us toward God. The thought life. And God brings us down in deep humility. And he says, the day that you die, all that you boasted about, all of your philosophies, all of your great intelligence, all of your wisdom, all of your supposed education. And we're not saying now that these things are bad. We're not saying that. All God is saying is, don't you understand? The day that you die, your thoughts cease. You can't do anything for yourself. Your thoughts perish. You have no capacity beyond that point of death to deliver yourself out of the hands of God. You may have rebelled down through your whole life and your thought life been absolutely against God. You could have been atheist to the core, but the day that you die, he says, your thought life is gone and all that you thought has nothing to do now about your appearing before me. I'm so thankful, you know, and I read that portion, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I'm so glad that when I see him, I'll see him face to face, and I will remember those beloved ones who write in this fellowship left this fellowship and are now with Jesus Christ and I will see them and the memory will be there just as that one spoke to Abraham he remembered he said send back to my brothers and tell them that they do not come in this place in this place of torment where I am but the day that a man dies, his thoughts cease concerning this world. He can't do a thing, can't take his money, can't change his investments, he can't sell his house, he can't do anything. He's finished as far as this world is concerned. It's Death is the transition, if I might say, from our contact with this present world and places us in contact with another world. The day that a man's breath ceases, his contact with all this world ceases, and his contact with the other world begins. It either begins in judgment or salvation, one or the other. That's it. Nothing else. The day that a man dies, his thoughts perish. Then notice how he says here, happy is he that hath the God of Jacob. You know, it hardly seems possible. Huh? You, you get out of a death scene, you know. Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob. He's just finished saying, he dies, his thoughts perish. Happy! <laughs> you say, listen, something wrong there. <laughs> Must be touched in the head. Paul says, if I be beside myself, I'm beside myself for Christ. Happy is he whose God is the God of Jacob. You notice how carefully God does this. He doesn't say, happy is he who has God. 
No, he distinguishes the God you believe in. All the pagans believed in God. They all had their gods. And so God always distinguishes. You'll notice in the New Testament, he does this. The God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob. This is no accident. God is making sure that you understand who this God is. He's not the pagan God. He's the God of Abraham. But, lest you be mistaken, he is the God of Isaac and not Ishmael. And lest you be mistaken, he is the God of Jacob and not Esau. And out of Jacob comes Judah that leads to Christ. You see how carefully he makes sure? Happy is the man that has the God of Jacob. Because Jacob's lineage, the twelve tribes of Israel and the line of Judah, you take Matthew and right away it starts it. Abraham begat Isaac. Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob begat Judah. You see? Christ! He makes you happy as he that has the God of Jacob. Not just God, but the God of Jacob. And so, beloved, do you have the joy in your heart tonight, you see? The day that a man dies, his thought ceases, breath goeth forth, he goes back into the ground. But oh, how blessed when we have the God of Jacob, because the God of Jacob is the God who sent forth his son to redeem our souls, so that when death comes and the last breath comes and our thoughts cease concerning this earth, for I have no concept that from heaven's pavilions at this moment anyone is able to look down on earth because anyone in glory cannot look down upon sin. And this is a sin-cursed earth. Some people use that portion in Hebrews. It says, seeing we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run the race that is set before us. But he has just used in Hebrews 11 all the great saints of the Old Testament. He says, those are the witnesses that are watching. You run the race. He says, it's their testimony. He says, live according to their testimony. Run the race like they ran the race. Here's their witness. We told you in Hebrews 11, look how they died. They were sawn asunder. They were cast into pits. They died and starved to death. Now these witnesses, they surround you. Live like this for Jesus Christ. But beloved, not from the pavilions of heaven are they looking down upon your sin. I can't think of anything more dreadful than a mother or a father having to look from heaven's portals upon the sins of their sons and daughters. God deliver us. When we get to heaven, it says there'll be no such thing as sorrow or pain and no abominable thing shall be able to enter the portals of heaven. And so I'm thankful that when I'm with Jesus, it'll only be an instant up there in glory before I'll see my beloved ones. There'll be no time to look down at their wickedness. Praise be unto God. Praise be unto God. What a terrible tragedy it would be for some dear wife, some dear mother to have to look down on the dreadful sins of her son. There'd be nothing but sorrow in heaven. I want to tell you that. This world is too filled with sin for anyone to be able to look out of those pavilions of glory and look down upon this sin-cursed earth. This earth is worse off today than when the Savior came. Much worse. 
And to look down from the pavilions of heaven on such a scene would be such a tragedy. But oh, how blessed. I have the God of Jacob. And Jacob leads to Christ. And Christ is my Savior. And the breath goeth forth and I return to the dust if Jesus doesn't come. And my thoughts cease about this earth. That's it. It's finished. Praise be unto God. I'll see Jesus face to face and dwell with him and wait for that little instant a thousand years or as a day in the sight of the Lord and my wife or if I went first or my children I might be there 20 30 40 50 60 80 years I don't know but it will be like a flash in time it will be as though I went to sleep at night woke up in the morning and say children here you are that's it you say now that's what it is when you have the God Jacob you're not concerned you're not concerned. Death can take you. But you read Romans 8. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Let us pray. Father, we thank thee for thy word. Bless it to our hearts tonight. Just a few short verses, but oh, how much you say to our hearts. So, Father, we pray that we might understand with the psalmist who speaks of death, very solemn tones about the breath going forth, going back to his earth, and his thoughts ceasing. And then saying, happy is the man that has the God of Jacob, whose God is the Lord. So, Father, we thank thee that thou hast sent Jesus to remove all the fears of death from our hearts. Now, Father, touch our hearts tonight with thy Holy Spirit. Gather us close to thyself in this coming week. Give us a week of blessed, blessed love for the Lord Jesus. May we walk with him, talk with him. Whether it's on the job, may no man get so involved in his business he has no time for God. Time to tell Jesus he loves him. Time to read his scriptures. Time to pray. Time to have his meditation. Time to love his wife and tell her he loves her. Time for his children. Oh, Father, touch us. Touch us. Help us to see life in its proper perspective. For the day is coming. Jesus is coming soon. Father, the time is short. So help us to live that we may honor Christ in every way. In Jesus' name, amen.